I don't know about you guys, but it feels like it's been a while since the last podcast, and I can't explain why, really. I wanted to start by thanking all of you who've been devoted listeners since the beginning, and especially throughout COVID, because as most of us are at home minus any sort of commute, it may be harder to sit still for a podcast listen. And to those of you who are new, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the episodes. I sincerely appreciate all the messages received on Instagram as I truly believe the Standard Age community is a positive one, and I'm so proud of that. Obviously, the brand and these podcasts are nothing without you, and as always, if you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at standardhpodcast at gmail.com. Give me a follow on Instagram and DM me if that's better for you, at standardh underscore. However, the podcast has its own handle as well at standard H underscore podcast. Of course, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. It honestly makes a difference. This week's episode coincidentally involves watches as last week's did. However, topics discussed are drastically different. Adrian Barker is a content creator behind the brand Bark and Jack, a YouTube channel where he sips coffee and talks about watches. I took to his content a couple of years ago, mainly due to his honesty and his candor, And as a result, I've been following his wonderfully curated Instagram page as well. Since our recording, Adrian's following has grown to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. He has an online store, which you can visit at barkandjack.shop. And he's also launched a Facebook group where conversations can further continue. Aside from watches, I was super excited to chat with Adrian, mainly due to YouTube being such a unique business to delve into and he offers quite an in-depth explanation as to how everything operates. In this episode, we really go down the rabbit hole of several subjects. I ask him about what he considers to be overrated, underrated, and we talk all things business as it relates to what he's been working on. We chat about getting over the hurdles of limiting beliefs, fighting against our own expectations, and how all of us could actually get more done in our day. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and Adrian is certainly an inspiration when you hear him describe some of his low moments, including his dealings with dyslexia. The first four minutes of this episode is comprised of what is usually reserved for getting audio levels and just general banter, but Adrian and I were chatting about customer service and taking part in what I feel is topically relevant conversations, so I left it in. Needless to say, Adrian and I hit the ground running, and we could have gone on all day, I think. So I hope you're able to settle in with a fresh cup of coffee or you've cracked a cold beer, because this is a fun one. I hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. I don't know. I, the gift of gab, maybe. I, I grew up in retail, so it's just like I right. enjoy like meeting people and talking to people and and hearing their stories and what makes people tick. You know that kind of thing. That's I don't know. It's just it excites me. I don't. I don't know. It's just it's fun. It's just fun for me. That's interesting. I, I was thinking um, when I was driving the other day, thinking about. Um, just life <laughs> and jobs yeah and a, a lot a lot of people look down at um kind of retail jobs but i think i've learned a lot from my retail jobs and i think my ability to do what i do going off to events uh, talking to people oh yeah um and and just like like you say gift of the gab i think that all comes from customer service jobs and and doing customer service jobs well and caring about that transaction and that interaction um 
I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that right at the start because I, I think it's there's a lot of valuable skills that are learned just through having to interact with the public a lot and it being part of your job. Because I've spent the better part of, I'm forty, so I've spent. F- 25 years in retail. Dude, you look good for 40. Oh, cheers, <laughs> you, you man. You younger yeah. than me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long haul in, in the retail world for me, um, just outside of the brand. And one of my best friends, she's like a sister to me. She was my manager like 11 years ago named Jessica. And she and I talk all the time and how because we've done well in retail in the sense of like we are, we're actually quite good at our jobs we get so angry with other people not providing just minimal levels of customer service because it's like... Absolutely. It doesn't take much. And we understand that it's possible to give great customer service because we give it ourselves. So, And it's one of those things that's free. It, it is free 100%. To, to do good customer service. It, it's You don't need extra tools. You, you're not lacking equipment or technology it's just caring about your job and caring about the person in front of you who's essentially is either spending money that's going to pay your wage or you're hoping that they're going to spend money to pay your wage. Regardless of the outcome, you need to care about them. And so, yeah, I, I, I get unnecessarily annoyed <laughs> with people who, who give a bad service. You would think it would be just kind of common sense and sort of a general basis of knowledge that this is just something easy to do you know it shouldn't be very difficult my wife and i were on a bike ride yesterday and somehow this topic came up and she said you know i understand like if you don't like your job that's okay but that shouldn't substantiate you doing a poor job like just Absolutely. because you don't like it doesn't mean you have to be shit at it <laughs> you know what i mean and and also that there are going to be people within the organization whether it's the manager whether it's the business owner or your colleague who yeah. do enjoy that job and do care about that job and you're making their life harder and either by losing their money or just making the culture bad. Uh, so that, 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 that stuff really annoys me, especially when people dislike their job. You don't have to have that job. There are a million and one jobs out there. Go find the one. And you'll be happy. You'll be happy when you find the job. I, I used to work in HR. That's HR is my background and um, training, kind of corporate teaching, all that stuff was my background. Oh. Specializing in in management and uh, customer service stuff. Um, so this, this is like really deep for me. <laughs> oh, cool. Like well, um, my background. <laughs> well, I think you know that's that's a pretty decent transition to then just you know go ahead and jump into the conversation then. But um, Adrian, thank you for taking the time. It hey, is kind so of. It's it's kind of interesting to see you because I'm used to seeing you, but it's on YouTube, <laughs> you know, sure. and it's like, it's so you're in the same window on my laptop. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny in that way. But um, so where, where exactly were you born? Where are you from? Oh, man, that part of the life's messy. I, I was born in Doncaster, but I lived there, which is a... a um, an old industrial part of England, uh, slightly, I call it up north, but I don't know if northerners call it up north. But it's, yeah, it's, it's quite run down now um, because it's old industry. But I was only there for about six months and then we moved to Norfolk, which is kind of our version of Texas. Um, my parents were in the military, so we moved, I think I li- lived in about 13 or 14 houses um, during my childhood. Wow. So I don't really, when people say, where are you from? 
I kind of say Cambridge because that's the last place that my parents kind of settled, but all over the place. I lived in America once. I lived in Florida for a while. Oh, I'm um, sorry. So it's... <laughs> that's what most people say. <laughs> uh, nothing against uh, Florida, really. Um, so your parent, your your parents were uh, in the military. You said what? What did they do? What were their types of jobs? My dad was um, a fighter pilot and fast jet pilot, and my mum was. Um, she was an admin officer, but back in the day, when you got pregnant, you got kicked out of the military. So, um, I mean, now that's illegal. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> but so, what? Uh, so, your parents met in the military, I guess, or no? They did. Yeah, there weren't. When my mum was in, there weren't that many women in the military. But she was something that she was quite passionate about, and that's, oh, that's, that's cool. what she pursued. Um, and so that's why we moved all over the place, lots of schools, lots of houses. Uh, but it was good fun. I liked it. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll uh, we'll obviously talk watches later, but that obviously substantiates why you like military watches. So, <laughs> and absolutely, and 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 actually watches as as a whole, because I'd I'd always be fascinated with the watches that my dad had. I always thought they weren't good looking watches. Good looking. They weren't shiny watches. They weren't impressive from that standpoint. That, but they were always there as a tool. Like he needed those watches, um, and I'd, I'd like to get him on a podcast and have a chat with him at some point. But um, he's quite a private guy. Uh, but he would talk about how um, when you're flying fast and you're doing a bombing run or something, and you need to time. You've got like a, a fifteen to twenty second window to drop your bombs. And you can't see the the clock in front of you on the dash, uh, on the cockpit, because you're bouncing around. I was going to say you're rattling like, around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah your, your head's all over the place. So actually you need an object that you can kind of stabilize with your head, and that's your watch. Um, and so although he thinks it's crazy that I talk about watches and I, I buy what he perceives overly expensive watches, it's, that it's his watches that actually started this all off. Right. That's, that's fascinating. Oh man, that's really cool. So when you were a kid, were you was that an early adoption then for you, like as a child, just because you would see it on your dad's wrist, or were you did the watch thing come much later? No, I, I, it, it sounds cliche to say that I'd, I've always been into watches, but I have genuinely been into watches. As I said I lived uh, moved to Florida when I was three, and back then. Blockbusters are shut down here. I assume it's shut down in the US as well. Um, I think there's one left in Portland. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> but they, 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 was, they were doing this um, promotion where if you rented whatever, you got a free Blockbuster watch. And I loved that watch at like the age of three or four. And I wore this massive, it was bright blue. And I think it was either bright blue and had a... Um, a yellow rotating bezel or the other way around. Um, but I remember just being obsessed with this blockbuster video watch. And from then it just grew. And so I've always had watches, always been obsessed with watches. Always, Even as a kid, just going through airports, I'd always go look at the watch stands. Um, and Breitling and Tag Heuer were the things that I'd, I'd be amazed by because um, they were just aviation watches and all that. Well, Breitling's always had such, well, not always, but very often had a very busy dial. So there's a lot of things to look at, obviously. And I'm sure yeah. like when you're a kid, you know, not only is it a shiny little object, but it's also <laughs> got like all these markers and numbers and circles and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty intricate looking. Um, I used to be obsessed with um, aircraft as well. I used to be quite geeky when it came to aircraft. And I'd read like REF magazines or 
military magazines that there will always be these brightling adverts and that kind of became the poster kind of watch would be a brightling do you have a favorite plane or favorite jet a jet would have to be the f-16 my dad flew the f-16 we're in um florida and oh, amazing it's, it, it's a relatively small aircraft, single engine, but it is, it's fast, epically maneuverable, and for its time, really very, very advanced. Um, it's, it's got a special seating position so that the pilot can absorb more G than in a traditional seating position. So it's, yeah, a very impressive machine. And my dad was obsessed with their aircraft. Even when we came back to the UK, he'd still wear his F-16 patch on, on his shoulder. Oh, that's amazing. That. I remember watching them fly as a kid. Um, so there's like, there's the Blue Angels in the Navy. They always flew, I think, F-18s, if I'm not mistaken. And then whereas the Thunderbirds was another group of jets associated with the Air Force, I believe. And those were F-16s, if I'm not mistaken. So I actually would go to air shows as a kid, so I'd be able to see them fly. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't know, I was always... Um, an F-14 Tomcat fan because of Top Gun, of course. But sure, um, yeah. So what were you into as a kid as far as like when you were in school and such? Were there subjects that you gravitated towards? or? Oh, man, I was, I was bad at school. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so me and school didn't really get on. But I'd, I'd, like socially, socially, I loved school. School was really good fun. I'd, I guess music was something I excelled at, even though I... I didn't really go on to study music at school. That was later on. Um, tech design was something that I was really passionate about. Um, design, music, and maths were my thing. Um, but I was quite a naughty kid at school. I understand it now because I've, I've, uh, I went to a um, dyslexic psychologist who kind of helped me dissect my brain and understand why it works in certain ways. But looking back, I just... The, the style of teaching just didn't connect at all. So what the teacher would see as a disruptive kid was actually just really bored. Just like what you're saying just isn't connecting to me, which then kind of fascinated me in later life, which is why I went into training uh, kind of corporate teaching because I was so interested in, in the different styles of teaching and how if you've got a someone in your class or you're presenting to someone and you're not connecting with them, you have to adapt your style to, to bring them into the group. Um, but obviously with, with high school teachers, they, they don't have that time or, or that bandwidth to be able to do that with a class of 30 kids. Um, oh, absolutely. So although it frustrated me that the, the system didn't work for me or, or my brain didn't work with the system, I kind of understand it. It's, it's, it's a mass-produced system and it's, I'm just not their market. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. I was always somewhat of a class clown, always would talk and I would always get in trouble for distracting other kids. And I mean, it really just came down to boredom. Like, okay, I understand this concept. I got it. I'm getting an A on this test. I don't care. So I'd rather occupy my time with chatting to Susie What's-Her-Face because she's really cute. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, uh, that was, that was sort of my, my MO, I think, all through like, <laughs> Pretty. fourth grade to through high school. Um, but um, I just realized I'm rookie mistake. I need to put headphones on because you're probably getting picked up very slightly. It's a great time to talk about one of my sponsors, Clear Audio, the uh, noise cancellation headphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, these guys are awesome, by the way. Not, I mean, yes, I'm a bit biased, but they're, um, they're really quite comfortable. Really, really 
quality. Well, that's cool. So what were some of your like hobbies and stuff as a kid? Were you into sport or? I, I liked sport, but I was, I was terrible at it. Um, uh, no, my, my hobbies were, were music. I was obsessed with music. Uh, I At the age of nine in um, kind of lower high school, uh, middle school, um, me and my best mate uh, just dared each other to start having musical lessons. And so he played the violin, gave up after six months. I'd played the guitar. And my parents kept going on about how expensive the lessons were and that it's, they're happy to pay for them, but you've got to be taking them seriously. And then I was just too scared to tell them that it was just a joke. <laughs> so right. I then went on to um, play in bands. Uh, no, 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 big bands, but it just became my life. Um, I went off to uni and that's what I studied. And it, it's, it's funny that it all started off as a joke. So I was just too scared to tell my parents that. Oh, wow. I, I didn't really want to do it. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of music kind of became my thing because because my brain didn't really work at school. Um, I would then just channel all of my kind of attention to music, and I became known as as kind of the guitar kid at school. I'd, I'd be in bands and I'd, I'd play shows at school, uh, and it kind of became my identity. And it just felt like a, a fairly strong output for me. Also, the fact that it tapped into my rebellious side so I'd, I'd be into punk and um kind of rap metal and stuff like that and so it kind of it, there was a lot of angst that could come out through that 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 music so yeah definitely music what were the bands you were into um there was a massive changing point I, I used to be into bands like um queen the eagles and then when i went to school uh one of the the older kids introduced me into rage against machine oh that yeah that was a game changer for me that that was just wow i, I really could i connected with the the angst the technicality from a musical point of view um but then just the mashup of of everything that was going on the, the political side of it the the angst that was coming out just the whole package was just mind-blowing and so i became obsessed with rage and tom morello is like a technician like that guy just oh like... absolutely he, he he took guitaring to uh, just a different world. It's <laughs> like departed from. I've always really respected any musician that like, if you could hear just two notes, you know exactly who it is. And I feel like Tom Morello embodies that entirely. Like, you know, that Absolutely. like whatever the feedback, I don't, I'm not a guitarist. I actually play drums, but oh, cool. it, whatever his feedback thing is that he does or reverb or whatever, it's like, yeah. it's Tom Morello playing that guitar. It's his signature, yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was everything about the package of of Rage that I just thought was was brilliant. Loved it, so uh, kind of went on into like the whole new metal world of Limp Biscuit, Corn, and all that oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's a, late nineties, uh, early two thousands. That's exactly that's what was it. going on. <laughs> yeah. So, angry. are you a um, are you a Fender guy or Gibson guy, or are you any allegiance? Uh, definitely a Gibson guy. Although I feel. Um, now I'm a Fender guy, but uh, my, when I was at uni and kind of properly got into bands, uh, I played Gibson Les Pauls kind of religiously. Uh, that, that was my thing. Loved them. Yeah. Loved them. They're beautiful to look at too. They are. They absolutely are. And I, I think there's a lot of the, the kind of things around watches and, and liking the, the way that things are machined and manufactured. There's a lot of enjoyment as well with high-end guitars. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I like pre-owned watches, damaged watches, beaten up vintage watches, and it's the same with guitars. I'd, I'd actually strip apart guitars and kind of drag them across car parks and stuff to make them look all old and 
bashed up. It's, it's just fun. Oh, that's to make cool. Vintage. <laughs> I don't remember if I came across Bark and Jack first on Instagram or YouTube. I don't recall which came first. The Instagram came first, um, okay. but it, it it stayed quite small for a very long time. Uh, I started the YouTube channel when I had about. 10 or 15 between 10 and 15,000 followers on Instagram. Oh wow. Um, and then after after the YouTube channel it then kind of I then figured out that if you're going to grow something you have to have multiple streams of social media so that they can kind of bounce off each other otherwise if you just have one stream of social media you're, it's not going to do much. Um so starting them both up kind of helped each other out. Yeah, that's probably some advice I should take, but I just figured that like <laughs> So my next question was actually like, do you consider yourself a YouTuber or content creator? Like, how do you classify yourself or do you just avoid titles like the plague? Uh, yeah, generally speaking, I, I, I avoid titles because I, I, I feel there are too many things going on to kind of just say that it is one thing. Um, I, I don't want to be an Instagram. I don't want to be a YouTuber because that then kind of channels it down to one thing and if youtube dies then technically that job role dies i if i say to if someone asked me what i do i'd I say i'm a content creator okay um, and i talk talk about watches um and that can can be packaged as, as whatever but then that still doesn't cover everything because then there's um the, the e-commerce side of the business and that's that isn't content creation that's a completely separate package right so i i i guess I'd, it just involved in watches that's 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 what it is um but yeah, the the Instagram started, I think, around 2012, 2011, 2010, around then. Um, and it was basically just me, me and a mate um, just taking photographs of things that we liked. He, he was into fashion, I was into watches, and, and that was kind of it. Um, and then it's, it's just transitioned into the YouTube channel. Although he, life kind of took over and, and we just, it died because we didn't really have an, an angle. It was just a matter of wanting to share photographs of products that we enjoy without wanting them on our personal page. If you take a photograph of Rolex and put it on your personal feed, everyone's going to think, oh, look, he's showing off. But it's it, ostentatious, it yeah. Exactly. It, it isn't that. And I still get comments on YouTube if I do a video about an expensive watch and say, oh, you've got more money than sense. Like, that's okay if you think that, but it isn't just that. And now I, now I get annoyed uh, if as a kid I'd see a Porsche rolling past and I'd be oh wow look at that Porsche and my parents would say oh that guy's got more money than sense no that guy's probably worked his ass off or girl has probably worked their ass off to to get that product I I really don't like the the the, the kind of um, the idea that someone has more money than sense because I feel like that's a defeatist mindset like is that just you protecting yourself because you haven't got that product. Right. Either strive, either be happy for that person because they've got it or don't worry about it or strive to get it. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Like I'm I'm all about the aspiration, right? And honestly, like Absolutely. it's funny. I've always wanted to live in New York. I've been in New York my entire life. It's like a second home to me. Uh, my dad's from that area. Um, but I used to live in LA for five years. And then I moved here to San Diego eight years ago with a job. And the single most common question I get from people that I meet the first time here, they're like, oh, you used to live in LA. Well, which do you like more? And I'm like, well, I actually quite miss LA. And most people think I'm nuts for saying that. And I'm like, the sole reason, I mean, outside of like 
restaurants and friends and things like that. But it's like, I miss the sense of aspiration. Everybody here wants to be surfing and like do nothing with their life. And I mean, I get it. I understand the desire to be leisurely, but I, I, that's not how I'm wired. Like I want to like keep pushing and, and like do something for myself and, and do more for others. And Anyway, uh, I don't know. That's why the moniker for this is sort of like for those with drive. You know, it's the double entendre of like being driven and as well as like, you know. I, I, I completely relate to, to that point as well. I've, I've just moved up to Scotland um, in the countryside of Scotland. And it, it's beautiful up here. It's, it's incredible. I've like a, a 30 minute drive and I'm right in some stunning mountains and, and lakes and all of that. And it's it's holiday stuff. Um, but the pace of life is so different from London and it's it's a difficult balance because the family is happier up here and it is good up here i love it but when it comes to trying to be entrepreneurial and and be driven and and aspire to be more than what i am that's in london i i I have that buzz in london in in london you go off to a coffee shop and you'd sit you get your laptop out and you'll be buzzing because you'll see everyone else just doing exactly the same and i'd be so inspired because i'd you see these these young people just building stuff. I don't know what it is, whether they're planning a new product, they're building software, they're coding something. It doesn't matter. That I'm feeding off that energy and that that really um I don't know, it, it, it excites me. Whereas up here, it's a more pleasant way of life, but there isn't that that uh, drive. <laughs> there yeah. isn't that drive to, to, to do that stuff. And that's not to say that Scottish people aren't entrepreneurial. Uh, there's a lot of business up here. There's there's a lot going on, but it, because it's all spread out, it and it it's, it just doesn't feel the same um, the same drive to, to 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 build stuff. Well, I only recently found out how you named your business. Do you mind sharing how you came to the name of Bark and Jack? Uh, I've got a best mate, um, a few best mates, but basically we used to be in a band together. Me and this this guy called um, Martin Jackson, and. Um, We've always had ideas on things to do and we're getting too old to be in a band um, and we've always wanted to do things together and he started to get into a bit of men's fashion, men's grooming. He's obsessed with denim, um, denim and red wings. That's kind of his, his oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Workwear. Um, and beards. Yeah, workwear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he'd, he would he would take photographs of that sort of stuff and I'd take photographs of, of my watches and as I mentioned, we we didn't want these expensive things to be on our personal accounts because you, you can look um, you can just look a bit odd, especially if the rest of your lifestyle doesn't necessarily fit that thing. So if someone sees a photograph of a Rolex, they'll assume they'll make pictures up in their head of what the, the rest of that lifestyle is, and that's not necessarily true. As I, I talk about on my channel, that I, I live a, me and my wife live, live a very frugal life. We have certain things that we like to spend our money on just so happens is watches is, is my things and and for uh my mate it was clothing um and then we, we we posted photographs for probably about a year and his last name's jackson my last name's barker uh, and we just ended up calling the account barker and jackson um and th- that that was kind of it life took over um i had a kid i think or did i get married i should probably remember that let's say i had a kid um and then he got married and we just ended up leaving the account and it just died. And for some reason, I started posting photographs of watches again. Oh, that was it. I was getting dressed up and going <laughs> off to ADs 
<laughs> I, I knew I was I just, asked. I, I knew I asked for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I got dressed up in like chinos and shirt, and I'd go after ads, and I just I pretend I had a lot of money, and I'd try on these crazy watches, and I posted photographs on Instagram. And for some reason, the second time round, people started to engage with it, and the account started to grow. Um, and I then asked my mate, "It's like, look, this I'm using the account again." kind of have it it's like yeah i'm not gonna do anything with it yeah so then i just changed the name to, to bark and jack because I, I didn't want the name to be me uh it, it doesn't need to be me it isn't about me it's about watches um and bark and jack was always supposed to be just a holding name and i i'd spend ages trying to figure out what is a good company name um that could be about watches but i don't want it just it's kind of like you i don't want it to be obviously watches because it it could branch off into anything else or i don't want to be limited just to watches i want to be able to talk about other stuff it just ended up when i started the youtube channel things just start to really just um, snowball and i kind of just got stuck with the name bark and jack and now i've seen it so many times i've said it so many times that it kind of just it's stuck in my head now so it's, it'd be silly to to change it um, so when when people ask now, this is like seven or eight years ago. So when people ask now, what does Bark and Jack mean? I actually just tell them it doesn't mean anything because it's it saves time to say that that whole big spiel. But also, I I don't want the Bark to be me. I just want it just to be. I wanted a short name that was quite punchy, not pretentious in any way, because that was kind of my my mo was to kind of try and remove the pretentiousness from watches. Cause I, I didn't like the fact I had to get dressed up to go into an AD in central London just to get spoken to. Cause if you walk in, in, in shorts and t-shirt, no one talks to you, but ironically the guy in shorts and t-shirt is probably the millionaire. The guy in shirts and chino is probably the, the kid working in the Apple store. who's not earning enough money to buy a watch. So I love that. Like the beginning of your channel was sort of driven by that, like you owning pretty much just one watch, right? And going into ADs and taking photos. Were you like taking yeah. props and stuff with you as well? Because like for some of your <laughs> shots, you've got like maps and, you know, your coffee mug and stuff. So there was a massive transition from... Um, so it started off with me uh, previous to that, Previous to me buying my first kind of expensive watch, which was a, a Rolex Explorer 2 with a white dial, previous to that, I'd only ever worn or own um, Citizens and Seikos, which is what my dad had, um, was Citizens and, and Seikos. Um, and so I'd, I only had this this one watch, and it kind of, that was my transition into really geeking out about watches. Always been into watches, but I didn't realize that there was a world of watches. I didn't realize it was a thing, and that finding forums kind of realizing that people actually spoke about watches as opposed to just going into a shop window and looking at them right so as i was introduced to this world of watches i then wanted to learn and the way for learning was to go into shops and ask questions and because i had this rolex i could put the rolex down and say can i try on that seven eight thousand pound watch because i'd say okay he's, he's got a vintage rolex he this guy might have money just ironically i had no money <laughs> There was a big transition, basically, from me documenting watches that I was experiencing to then wanting to be artistic about it. So it, it was literally just iPhone photographs of a watch on my wrist, and that was all that Instagram was about. I then did one shot, which was my first pocket shot, and that was the first shot that actually on Instagram kind of went semi-viral for me. It got over a 1,000 likes, and for me, that was like, what? Why did that shot get so many likes? Yeah, and it was because it, I asked one of my mates, and it's like, "What's? Well, it's, it's a stylized shot. It's 
it's you wearing the watch as opposed to you trying on the watch. So that then got me thinking, oh, right, I need to be creative about this. And so it's more dynamic, put these watches in, in a lifestyle situation. And that's what the Instagram account is now. It's, it's watches, it's taking photographs of watches that the, um, the watch company wouldn't necessarily take. I, I want to show the watch in my life hopefully my life might represent someone else's life having a, a cup of coffee sitting in in the driver's seat of your car going for a walk in the countryside this is what the watch looks like in that scenario as opposed to the perfectly airbrushed watch of it dropping into the ocean the bubbles bubbling around it and everything it's that's not what the watch is going to be the watch on your wrist whilst you're wearing jeans that's a watch the concept of your channel is super clean as well it's hello i'm adrian I like coffee and I like to talk about watches. It's really straightforward, super simple, quite very easy to understand. <laughs> um, so the, the whole coffee and watches thing was was um, it, it it was one. It was to kind of summarize what the channel was about. Is like there's no have no pretense around what you're watching. It is literally a guy who is drinking coffee and talk about watches. There's no. I don't want anyone to have an expectation of my knowledge, of my wealth, of my background. It is literally as simple as that. I, I like watches. I like drinking coffee. And that's what you should expect from the channel. It's also a bit of um, uh, sticking a middle finger up at the whole society on Instagram that show their Rolex draped over um, a champagne bottle or, or the... the um, the craze at the moment of sliding the Rolex up the champagne, the neck of the champagne bottle to open it and it, it cracking the top. It's, it's that whole, I don't mind luxury. I'm not against luxury. I'm not against wealth, but it's that vulgarity around wealth or, or showing off. Society doesn't need that, that mindset in it. it. I have nothing against people drinking champagne or spending lots of money on watches or, or living a lifestyle that they want, but it's, I, I, I don't know why that annoys me, but it does. And so the whole drinking coffee is like, I can talk about a £300,000 watch and drink my 30p coffee yeah. in, in a mug. And that, that's, it, it doesn't need anything more than that. You launched the Instagram 2011-12, you said. When did the channel come out on YouTube? The channel came out quite late. Uh, 2017, October 2017, I think, was the first video Um and it's, it, it had been a plan for a long time uh, to do a YouTube channel uh, just because I watch a lot of YouTube um, and I, I've presented for a long time. Uh, I started, uh, I used to work for Apple and I'd be a presenter for Apple. Um, and so the, the, the idea of talking in front of a camera or talking in front of a group was, that was fine. That didn't bother me. Um, and so I was happy to present. I like watches and I didn't agree with lots of things that were being said on YouTube at the time. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of characters playing made-up people, or rather people playing made-up characters. And I didn't agree with that concept. So I'd, I'd, I want to hear a review from you, not what your alter ego might say about that that product. Interesting. Um, so that was kind of a motivator. Uh, but I, I didn't do the channel. I probably put off the idea for about two years because... I had all of these um, limiting beliefs, but also I put up so many barriers to say, I can't, I can't start the channel this weekend because I don't have a microphone. I can't start the channel this weekend because I don't have the right sort of camera. I don't have this sort of lighting. And then, and, and time. And it, 
there was so many just perfect bricks that just went into place that actually resulted in me starting the channel. And that was just a matter of learning about coaching. I was doing an HR course and part of that was around coaching. And then I'd learned that the thoughts that are in my head are just simply limiting beliefs. They, they aren't actual barriers to entry. They're just in my head. And so I just need to rem remove these thoughts and then I can actually do this idea. God, you and I are so similar in that way. Like, but, I, oh, I'm, I'm great at making excuses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I don't have the right camera. I don't have the right microphone. I totally understand. Yeah. And it's, it, it, and it's one of those things. It's, uh, and also the, the idea that I, I didn't like my job at the time. I, I liked my profession, but the actual role that I was doing, I wasn't happy with it. And I'd come home from work and I'd, I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. I've, I've been at work all day, just got to sort the kids out and then get to like seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. And I'd just sit on a beanbag and think, I just, I just want to play PlayStation. I just play GTA and just, just chill out. There's, my, my brain's fried and there's no time left in the day. I then started doing a course, um, a, a kind of master's degree in, um, in HR. And there was no option for me to fail that course. If I failed the course, then I'd have to pay my company back for the money of the course. And it was like a five grand course. And so the, the option for failure wasn't there. And so it meant that when I came home from work, I had to study. And I'd study till the early hours. And then the weekends, I wouldn't have a weekend off. I'd be studying and, and doing my assignments. And it was that being forced into the situation to find more time made me realize that all the things that I used as escapism were fake. It, it, that was me creating. It was exactly what it is. It's escaping from what I didn't like in my, my day job. After completing the course and, and, and passing, I realized uh, that the PlayStation shouldn't be on. I'd, I've, I haven't touched my PlayStation since starting that course. Oh, I wow. haven't played. I mean, I, I play computer games every now and then just on my iPhone but I haven't plugged in an actual console and, and played a computer game because if that has to happen, that's me escaping from something that I'm not happy with. Let's fix what I'm not happy with. And that's where Bark and Jack came from was the realization that there is no excuse. There is time in the day to do what you want to do. I enjoy making videos. I enjoy talking about watches. Let's make this a thing. And so I'd come home from work put the kids, have dinner with the kids, put them into bed, and then eight o'clock till midnight, I'd be writing um, stuff for, for websites or building websites and then editing videos. And, and it was that course that realized that there's, there is time in the day. You just got to reprioritize your time. If you're not happy, if you're doing something as escapism, and it's, it's always fine to have escapism. It's, it's fine to, to, to remove yourself from reality. But I think it's important to understand what's the reality, what part of reality you don't like and can I actually fix that? And that's why I get annoyed when people say, I don't like my job, but what are you doing about it? Right. Fix it. You spend so much time at work, fix your job. I've had so many of those conversations, man, where like, I'm like, oh, if you don't like something, change it. Like you don't like where you live, move. I did. I didn't know anybody, Absolutely. you know, well, actually I knew one person in LA really, but how did your wife handle that? Like, because I mean, without getting into like love languages and stuff and, you know, <laughs> but like how do you know? Cause like my wife's all about quality time. Right. So like if I did, yeah, yeah. if I went to a job all day, came home, like contributed to kids, which we don't have any yet. We've only been married a year. 
like, how did your wife kind of handle that balance of the additional work now being placed in the evenings? Um, did it cause uh, any stress or was it, she just understood the work ethic or what? No, it caused huge amounts of stress. Cause we, we, we lived in a, a two bed apartment in, in London, a tiny, tiny apartment. I'd, I'd, I'd been to New York, love New York. And the apartments are kind of, uh, similar size. It's, it's, Shoebox. Space is premium. Yeah. Shoebox, exactly. No, it, it, it was really hard because work-life balance wasn't there. It was work, work, work. And I, I think one of my um, downfalls, one of my kind of negative mindsets is when I have my my mind set to something, that's it. That, that is the number one priority and, and <laughs> I have to build it. And it would be the same... Um, when I was in a band, when when I was a kid, I'd I'd, I'd go off to uh, to try and help my mind operate better. I remember going off and, and doing this time management course when I was probably sixteen, and part of the job of uh, part of the task of the time management course was to talk about your day. What do you do within your day? And I timetabled in when I'd see my girlfriend, and this girl sitting next to me said, "Why do you timetable your girlfriend? Surely she'd be a priority." Well, no, I'm I'm in a band. I've I've Band's priority. I timetable my girlfriend, and that's how my brain works. When 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 I get <laughs> when I have this task, it has to be about the task. <laughs> and unfortunately, even when I had two kids, um, that my brain was constantly on building, building and working. Uh, so yeah, it, it it caused a lot of issues, a lot of arguments. Um, but I think it also showed um, my dedication to the cause. She got that, uh, and that was when I pitched the idea to her that I wanted to leave, actually re- reduce my my work in in the actual day job, the the thing that made money. Uh, she understood it, and she was behind the idea. Uh, That's really nice, and it 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 was, and, and that was a very powerful thing. And and she she actually left her job to. Uh, she now runs the strap, the e-commerce side of the business. Oh no way! That's awesome. Because I, 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 I couldn't do it all by myself. It's, it's just too busy. Um, and it's, she, she's been very supportive. But it, it, that, that's not to make it sound like it was plain sailing. That it, it was tricky to manage a newborn kid. I'd, I had a new kid halfway through starting the channel, and that's that's not easy stuff to do. And also doing this in in, in a tiny flat, I knew. I wanted a good background for my YouTube channel and the flat was just two bedrooms, one bathroom and a, a fairly large kitchen sitting room area. I wanted to use the kitchen sitting room area as my studio. So every time I had to make a, a video, the family had to go into the main bedroom and that was it. And I'd be in the kitchen. I'd be, I had, I'd have that space myself for like two and a half hours and they'd be stuck in this tiny little bedroom. So although it was relationship wise, it was tricky and uh, she'll probably listen to this, uh, but it was also supportive at the same time. And weirdly, the the requirement for me to make content, or rather the wish for me to make content, but at the same time not disrupt the family, meant that I went out to the streets of London and I'd I'd vlog my content. So although when when people vlog, they're usually talking about themselves. But I'd be walking around the streets of London with with a vlogging setup, but talking about watches. You know, I quite enjoy those episodes of yours, like the sort of walk and talks through whatever it was, Bond Street or whatever. Like, I think exactly they, they were just fun, you know. And I think 
I'm sure you would agree. Like, it's just nice to have a different scenery every now and again. And like you're, when you go out to mountains, when you jumped over that Creek and your foot went in, I literally, I literally laughed out loud, man. Like I was like, Oh shit, he's done it. Like he's done it. Oh man. That, that, that was a realization of how, how old I've got and how unfit I am (laughs) the fact that it wasn't a big stream man I I probably could have just a a wide stride and I could have stepped across that stream. oh my god I I know I know and that's what made it all too (laughs) hilarious and uh might I add familiar perhaps like I just was like I was like oh my god man this is brilliant and I love that you didn't edit it out like I love that you kept it in um Oh, for oh, God's man. sake! But yeah, the, so the, the walking around London stuff. Um, and it it was interesting. It was good to see the comments from people saying that they like. People would say, "I, I lived in London in the seventies or something or the eighties, and it's nice to see bits about London." I thought, "Oh, cool!" Because I'm doing the videos outside because I can't. I don't have a space to do them. Right. So it it just became a perfect little package. The fact that I don't have to disrupt the family by doing videos at home. I also couldn't figure out how to do good audio and and lighting. I, that was completely out of my uh, kind of knowledge. But when you're walking around outside, people know you're outside. They expect the exposure to be off or the colors to be wrong because you're outside. They expect there to be background noise because right. you're outside. Whereas if you're at home and you're trying to do a perfect studio setup, they want clean audio. They want perfect lighting. Right. I didn't have the money to do that. I didn't have the knowledge to do that. So all of that stuff had to be learn um so yeah the, the the walking around outside was just kind of it just happened and it, it, it worked out which was i think nice for everyone <laughs> yeah that's great you know i was gonna ask like who you consider your audience to be or like i mean maybe the audience sort of just defines itself based on viewership and you know the demographics like but then now just now you mentioned like oh i used to live in london in the 70s so that I mean that proves that you've got some older viewers clearly what um what is what are the demographics looking like so the 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 large majority are twenty five to thirty five. Um, that's the main main segment, and then it branches off. Uh, would you call it a bell? I don't think it's quite a bell, but it, it the stronger side is then up to the more mature side. Um, so there there are seventy eighty year olds watching the channel, according to YouTube stats, um, and I, I think it just comes down to finances. Uh, the older you are, the more kind of disposable income you have and then perhaps the 25 to 35s are are the guys who might aspire for for other things um Mm -hmm. but yeah that's 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 kind of the main area annoyingly that there there are very few uh ladies (laughs) in in the watch world still which is is uh i I still find bizarre um but yeah so that the stats just say that i think there's three percent of my audience are are women the rest are male and then the the age range is, is kind of the interesting thing. How have you marketed your channel? Have you done any marketing for it? Or is it all word of mouth? Like what's what's been the process behind that? I haven't marketed the channel. And I feel, I'm starting to look into that. Because I'm starting to feel like that might be a missed opportunity. My My idea going into the channel was I want to be the marketing. I'd, I want to be, I want to create something that people want to watch, therefore I shouldn't need to push it. Um, but I'm slowly learning that that's not quite how business works. Right. <laughs> Sometimes if you build you might... it, they will come. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to, to show people that this stuff exists. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to, to look at that stuff now. I've, I've got a chap who's interning with me who, who uh, is doing a marketing degree. And that's he's kind of, we're throwing around ideas uh, of, of how to, to get stuff going. But I've found having multiple streams so having the instagram having youtube and then having the website and now a, a facebook group having multiple streams starts to back each other up so youtube essentially wants two things that they want uh they want people to watch your video and then they want good quality video and the way that they kind of class people as watching your video is that someone goes to youtube to watch your video it's good if someone is on YouTube and then watch a video. But if someone goes to YouTube to watch a video, then that's YouTube loves you. So if you have a website outside of YouTube and you post your videos there, they then see that as an extension. The same with Instagram, the same with a Facebook group. And so they want to have that traction going in. I'm just learning stuff at the moment. Uh, literally last week, I've, I've been reading about backlinking. So having where other websites have links to your websites shows Google that actually this is a credible source. And just by looking at that, I don't know if you look at the stats on um, the Alexa ranking, and I've been following the Alexa ranking. We've gone up by uh, 700,000 positions within the ranking of websites in, in the past week uh, just by various things coming together and YouTube links and uh, linking with other companies it just helps bringing that traffic in. So I'm starting to learn about marketing the thing. I've, I've not paid for advertising, but I'm starting to realize that sometimes you don't need to be so arrogant. <laughs> I don't need to be so arrogant that people will just gravitate towards that. Sometimes you have to show them that your product's out there. I hate to jump around, but I forgot to ask you, like, what were some of your first jobs out of university? Like, was you said you have an HR background, right? At uni, I studied music, and there were a couple of extra add-ons into that, which fascinated me kind of more than the music side. So I'd, I'd studied um, contract law, I studied um, tax law, and then business management, which were, out of the music degree, they're my highest scoring <laughs> modules within that. And so th there were things that kind of interested me, and I kind of carried those on with me into to life. But I felt like I should do something with music. First job out of uni, I worked in a recording studio and a music guitar shop. Uh, and I kind of started, that was my first kind of play in having a business because that, that, although I didn't own the studio, I was completely responsible for how it operated. And I was, I was self-employed and so it was all around the, the, the taxes and stuff like that. I did that for two years I think and then I caught wind that there was a businessman who was building another recording studio in town uh, and I told him that uh, I wanted to be involved and that I could design it for him and help build it and run it and he agreed I left that job and so I designed the studio for this guy it was basically an empty warehouse and turned it into I think it was probably six or seven roomed studio. Uh, and it was an, an epic project, amazing project. Uh, but unfortunately, um, it, it was 2008 we were launching, which was oh, a recession yeah. in the UK. <laughs> and we, we went from having, we opened doors pretty much a week that it was announced that we're officially in recession. And we went from having a month fully booked to 
everyone cancelling. Um, at the time, I was teaching guitar as, as a bit of a side hustle to have um, money coming in. Every single one of my students reduced or left. Um, so it's, it went from having what felt like a really cool project, a, a, a dream project to design a studio and run a recording studio to really struggling and, and it, it became like properly broke. Uh, and that I, I managed to kind of keep going for, I think, two and a half years, three years doing that. But it all savings had gone. I was having to sell guitars to pay rent. Um, and that kind of jaded my view on running a business. Uh, it massively hit my confidence around business and, and doing all that stuff. And I thought, right, that's, this isn't the life that I'll want. This, this is, uh, I, I literally had no money. I, I remember getting, had a couple of quid left and I got a scratch card, just a little lottery ticket and I won 30 quid and that just broke me down. I, I just sat in my car crying cause I thought this is a week's food. I can put fuel in the car. I don't have to cycle to my girlfriend's oh house. Oh my God. And it, it, it literally got that bad. And I finally got the guts to kind of call it quits. Left the studio, quit the band, left all my mates, moved back home to my parents. I think I was about 24 then. Um, and I applied to go into the REF as uh, a navigator, weapon systems officer, um, that didn't work out. Uh, I failed the aptitude test, which was an interesting experience, but failed it. Um, and then I, I, I went down the kind of corporate route. I applied for a job at Apple. My dad actually said to me, whilst I was still at the studio, I think I found your favorite job. It's teaching music production, but for Apple. Well, cool. I was, I've always been into Apple. I've, I've been obsessed with Apple. So I applied for this job at Apple to teach music production. Um, and that's that was my plan B. The military was plan A. It didn't work out. Went with plan B. Um, and that was just, that kind of fixed life for a bit. I'd always had these, these business ideas, these, these ways of creating something that was mine. Um, I've always had this, this big chip on my shoulder around the ability or, or lack of doing something. And I've always felt that having a business is, something that I can control and a very easy F you to people who might have said, oh, you can't do this. Or, or it's safer if you go off and do that that thing because if, if you do this, then it, it might not work out. And I think when you have a business, there are so many risks involved that if it works and it, 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 there's no other way other than it being something that you have, have built. Um, so I, I went for the easy option and I, I got a corporate job um working for apple actually it, was, it wasn't corporate and then that, that was uh, retail i was working the apple store in in london teaching music production and that was my introduction to hr because i got pushed into teaching new managers um who would join the apple store are you a watch collector but having trouble finding something cool and unique i mean the last thing you really want is what everyone else has right well, this is where my friend and former Standard Age podcast guest, Tim Jackson, comes in. He and his wife, Jana, own Passion Fine Jewelry in Solana Beach, California, where you'll find an incredible assortment of independent watches waiting for you in their shop and online. And if you're getting engaged, have an anniversary coming up, or simply have another reason to buy jewelry, they have you covered. Passion Fine Jewelry also employs a goldsmith on staff for any custom desires, so you're able to go that route if you so choose. 
Visit Passion Fine Jewelry when you find yourself in Southern California, but they're also open 24 hours a day at passionfinejewelry.com. You can also find a wealth of information through Tim's blog, independentintime.com, where he covers anything independent watchmaking related, uh, among a plethora of other information. So check that out as well. I've really enjoyed creating these podcasts on behalf of Standard H and sharing each of these personal stories with all of you. We each have goals, and it's the entrepreneurial spirit that inspired me to start the company. You can further support the brand and the podcast by visiting standard-h.com to pick up your choice of merchandise. And as always, thank you for listening. Lastly, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show. It makes a tremendous difference in keeping these things going. Now back to my conversation with Adrian. I think you mentioned earlier you you kind of fought dyslexia, and I'm sure a lot of that was kind of, even if it were subconscious i think that was probably the driving force of the fu the i'm in control it 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 definitely is a chip on my shoulder and and for a long time it was a negative chip um and it still probably is a negative chip but I've, i'm challenging channeling that energy right for for goodness but I, I basically I, I found out that i was dyslexic when i was 15 um studying for my gcse's um and all along the school that i was at didn't say I was dyslexic they just said I was I was just slow and I later found out the reason they didn't want to accept that I was dyslexic was because they'd have to add more funding and support me in ways that they didn't want to do that right and so they refused to my parents ended up paying themselves for uh, a private dyslexic psychologist who then did tests on me figured out your brain's crap at doing this is understanding why letters work together your brain just won't understand that remembering why letters go together your brain will never understand that but actually your creativity side of your brain that is off the charts off the charts fast my my iq the part of my i can't remember it exactly but the part of my brain that understands language or something has an iq of like 94 or something and then the creative side is 140 so there's obviously a, a big imbalance there um and that that was when i realized that the school hadn't been supporting me it's not necessarily my fault that I've been failing things. It's just that my brain doesn't work with the system. Um, and that actually I should ignore the things that don't work and focus on the things that do work. If creativity is my thing that I enjoy and that's where my brain excels and let's do that and then not worry about it. So when now when I spell things wrong, I laugh at it. I, I don't care if it, even when, even when it should be embarrassing because they'll put a post out or there'll be an article online or there'll be a YouTube comment or even, it doesn't matter. I, I don't care because I know I'm bad at spelling. It doesn't matter when it goes wrong now. Whereas previously, as a kid, it would really upset me and frustrate me. So it's, yeah. And it's, it's not like you things. chose to be an author. Like, you know? It's <laughs> no, like... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it's, 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 it's just one of those. It's, it's life. We, we, we can't be good at everything. So right. it's just how it is. So as you've grown through Bark and Jack, like what has been sort of the process behind going from never having had a YouTube channel to suddenly getting like, I'm assuming privy information, like things under embargo and like, how did you go from being a lay person? If I may, (laughs) how'd you go from being me to being you? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what is, what are like, what are the doors you have to walk through for that to happen? Um, I I think it's being 
authentic. And I hate that word because people, it's one of those marketing words that everyone uses. But I think it's, there's a lot of distrust in the world of marketing. There's a lot of distrust in, certainly in the world of YouTube because there are a lot of people doing things. The whole influencer sphere has really damaged what people say publicly. If I say, if I don't know, um, I'm trying to look at something, everything is just so obvious. This microphone, I don't know what it is. This is a Rode microphone. If I say this Rode microphone is a really good microphone, everyone's going to assume I've been paid to say that. Mm. And uh, I think the way that brands have contacted me is because when I say something online, it obviously comes from a position of being genuine. Authentic. I yeah, because you're not like being that. paid. Exactly. And at JLC, that um, when I got talking to the, the uh, PR manager for JLC, I actually asked that question because uh, I, I I want to grow what I'm doing. So I, I asked questions like, "What? why have you engaged with me? And she said, oh, well, we watched your video around a reverser and, and we really liked your passion about that. And we want to show you more. And all the PR managers that I've spoken to refuse to work with anyone who wants to be paid to say something. And it's interesting how we live in this world of distrust towards people who speak uh, on a platform like YouTube. Yet all the PR people I talk to no one is paying anyone to say anything. So it's it's quite interesting that there is that level of distrust. So if, I guess to answer your question is, be honest. If you dislike something, say you dislike it. And if, if you like something, say you like it. And uh, I, yeah, I, I think people like my journey or mission to remove this pretentiousness around watches. And it's it feels like... It's such an old industry, watchmaking and, and watch branding, that there's an element of we need to make this a luxury product. We need to position it as a luxury product. And so we're going to photograph it with X, Y, Z. And when people come to this event, we're going to be giving them champagne as they walk through the door. I don't want champagne. I, I, I don't want to get drunk. I get annoyed because I often do drink the champagne and I do get drunk. And then the content that I create is rubbish from that oh. event. <laughs> and so <laughs> give me a coffee as I walk through the door and I'll be very, very happy. And that's, that's just what I want to have. I just want to sit down with someone and, and, and talk about watches. And I think the PR people connect with that idea. Well, now I want an outtakes episode. I, w I want drunk Adrian, like, like Friday night Adrian. <laughs> Like just nothing but like an outtake episode of just you stumbling through your words on champagne. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I, I went to a um, the launch of the Swatch Fly Magic, quite a funny looking watch. Um, and I'd just come back from work. I left work early, went off to this event. It was super hot in London. They gave you champagne as you walked through the door. And I was off my face within a few seconds. I'm a lightweight anyway. So hot, long day, champagne, and <laughs> I was plastered. All, all the macro shots were really shaky. All the video shots were really shaky. Was, uh, I, I left early from that one. You're like, no, guys, this is just really a high beat watch. Like, it's just really, really high beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, can you give us a little bit of background kind of behind the curtain? Like, what does it take to make your videos? Like, what's your process like? Like, how long does it take? What's your setup like? I mean, you're sitting next to a diffuser, it looks like. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier about perfection. Um, I, I, I am a perfectionist. I, I, uh, it's, it's one of, it was positioned as one of my negative points and it impacts my dyslexia because I'll, I will in, inevitably do something wrong 
Um, and because I'm a perfectionist, I then dwell on that thing that I've done wrong. Um, so when it comes to the YouTube videos, I, I, I watch my videos back lots. Uh, even when they're uploaded onto YouTube, I'll watch them back a lot and analyze um, the sound, the, the delivery, the content, the message. Um, and I take what I've done there and improve it on the next one. So if you watched all the videos in, in a line, which I wouldn't suggest anyone does, um, you will see just minute changes, but ultimately there is a progression. Uh, and so when it comes to doing videos, it, there's a lot of messing about. It isn't a matter of, I know exactly how the camera should be set up. I know exactly where the microphone should be. I know exactly how the lighting should be. I change it every single time. So actually shooting a video takes ages to do because I'm always tweaking things. So shooting a video, um, I'll plan a video. I used to just turn the camera on. I'd have a, a title of a video. I'd turn the camera on and I'd talk. And I'd probably talk for about an hour and a half and then edit that down to a 10 minute video. Now I actually plan my videos, um, understanding the message that I want to get across and putting it across in a more succinct way and focusing on the production and editing. Um, so it probably takes uh, three days to make a video. Oh, okay. Uh, may maybe half a day to shoot it. I've been planning a video just now. Um, it'll probably take two hours to shoot it. And that's just a voice. It'll take in about two hours to shoot a voice. Yeah, about a day to shoot everything, and then two days to edit. Um, so it's it's a long process, but it's when people complain about YouTube and the algorithms and views and things, it it is a labor of love. It's not a job that you can do if you want to see fast results or if you don't like the process of the job. Um, it's it, A lot of work goes into it. And if you were to break down the earnings from YouTube down to the the, the dollars per hour or pounds per hour, it, it's probably the, the worst paid job around. Um, but it's, it's, it's the enjoyment. I'm tapping into the creative side of my brain. I love the processes that, that I go through to create this stuff. And I love the fact that I can buy cameras now as a job. I think that's, it makes my dad so envious because my, my dad's into photography, my dad got me into photography and he'll buy a camera. He'll get told off by my mum for buying the camera, whereas I can buy whatever I want now. Now he's knocking on your door expensive. and borrowing your stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he doesn't even have to buy it. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you about the duration of your videos. They all seem to be about that 10 minute mark. Was that a conscious decision or was that like you doing research to see that like that's people's tolerances or like what, where does that come from? A, a bit of both. Um, we YouTube, basically the, the, there's two factors to it. If we go back a step, songs tend to be around three minutes long and that's because uh, the, the original way of recording audio could only fit three minutes of music so that became the norm on youtube when you make a 10 minute video if your video is longer than 10 minutes you can add extra adverts during the video and so creators if you want to make a lot of money or make more money rather you make a 10 minute video that inherently has made the norm of youtube 10 minutes long so that means if anyone goes to youtube you expect a 10 minute video because that's what the majority of creators are doing um, and so I, I tend to make my videos 10 minutes long. I also think that's, that's enough for me to say. I, I can do my cinematic stuff. I can have my chit chat about whatever I want, get the detail in. And I think for me, 10 minutes is, is long enough. I could go longer, but that might just be filler. And maybe that's down to my lack of knowledge of watches. Actually, I don't have enough to say to, to talk for longer. Um, but ultimately, I, I feel 10 minutes is what people expect. Um, 
on YouTube. Uh, yeah. And it's it's what I just see. If a video is longer, then people tend not to, to watch all the way through. If it's shorter, then people get annoyed and write comments. This should have been longer. So 10 yeah. minutes is... Yeah. Oh, is I long. mean, you can't please everybody. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, you know, it's interesting because of COVID, like my wife and I now, we don't, we haven't gone to the gym, for example. So like, I'm like, move your car to the street and we've created this little gym in our garage. And one thing I've noticed through YouTube videos as we've done like workout videos on YouTube, I feel like commercials have been put more in the middle and they just come up with like the five second countdown in order to skip. Whereas the exact same video at the beginning of COVID didn't have that intermission, if you will. So do you have any insight into that? Out of my own curiosity. Yeah. So, um, uh, because of the, the global recession or global downturn in the economy, people companies aren't paying for advertising the same they were, uh, which means that if you had a video with an advert at the start, you're getting roughly half the money now than what you would have done pre-COVID. So people are, to because some people live off their YouTube money, um, they're having to put extra adverts in. Uh, and that's, that's just part of it. Also, uh, Workout videos, no doubt, have gone up in views. My videos have gone down in views. Uh, revenue is down by about 55%. No way. And views are down by about 45%. Uh, and my thinking around that is, and that's not just me. I, I, I have a WhatsApp group with lots of YouTubers, and it's generally across the board. My, my idea around that is people are at home and they're watching Netflix. They're wanting a long bit of entertainment as opposed to getting in from work, watching, eating their dinner or, or grabbing a coffee. They want a short bit of entertainment. They're turning to either YouTube for um, escapism to work out or something else, but then they're going to Netflix to longer form content is, is what they're after. Last I checked, you were at like 96,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, somewhere in that neighborhood. What has that trajectory been like? Um, is it literally just been just simply organic? That's a lot of people. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's completely organic. Um, I, I haven't advertised yet. Uh, I'm starting to see people advertise their channels. I didn't actually know you could advertise a channel, um, but now I'm going to start looking into it because I know people do. And the market is obviously larger than um, than that. Uh, it, it's funny. YouTube works in, in a weird way. I don't know if it's YouTube's algorithm or if it's to do with social social science. Um, but getting the first 1,000 subscribers took about uh, three months to hit. Uh, and it was a really long slog. And I'd, I'd be reading up trying to figure out, uh, is it normal for it to take this long? Or am I doing something wrong? And apparently getting the first 1,000 subscribers is, is just a really hard thing to do because YouTube isn't supporting that small channel. To get the second 1,000 took a, a, about three weeks. So after that 1,000 hit, you suddenly jump. And again, after 10,000, you suddenly jump because something's changing in the internet. Uh, so I'm, I'm imagining once you hit 100,000, there's another jump. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a slow climb now. I'm climbing at about three four thousand subscribers a month um whereas previously it'd be it's been three four thousand subscribers for about the past seven months um, that's so it's, awesome. i said it's a slow it's I, I i feel that's a slow climb um but i mean it's, that's a hundred people a day you know 
Like that's yeah. I, when I put it in those terms, like imagine if you could just like ground up a hundred new people every single day to talk to. <laughs> like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, when, when you put it, when you and put you it see like somebody that, like Casey crazy. Neistat who's got like over ten million subscribers, and you're just like ten million subscribers. Like you know, somebody asked me like what's the best way to start a clothing label? I, you know, my answer now, my answer now is build an audience doing something else. Because once you have an audience, then you just start selling shit to them. Like it's, yeah. that's why celebrities are able to just make millions hand over fist in six months. And then be like, Oh, you know what? I don't want to do that perfume anymore. Like <laughs> it's like I made my 10. And, uh, no, exactly. And I, I think that's one of the challenges is when you, when, someone creates content with the idea of it to promote a business mm. there are a lot of watch dealers um who are on youtube or, or creating content business owners not just watch dealers and it's all around motivation uh, simon sinek's why it's kind of understanding your, the, the the purpose of, of why you're doing something if you're going into something just to push your product and to make more money then it's it's never going to take off and kind of like Casey Neistat he just likes telling stories yeah he's brilliant it, it just just works absolutely he's a massive influence for me so some people ask me when when they're, they're starting um channels and stuff how do you decide what to to make videos on whatever what you, you want. want yeah the the, the 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 challenge is is when you overthink it mm. that's when it starts to come across fake and and it it, it looks weird and it might not take off Screw it. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you ever that's, find that that gets in the way for people like us, though, of who are perfectionists or per perfectionists? I don't know why I can't say that word today. It's like, I do what I want, but then I'm just, ah, oh, man, it's just not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's never good enough. It, 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 no, it's it's never, never good enough. But the, the, the way that I see it, that there's definitely, I don't know if there's ever been a video that I haven't published. Oh, no, there's, there's been videos that I haven't published because they, they just, it, it just wouldn't work. But there's definitely Instagram posts where I was about to press publish and I thought, no, that's, that's not up to the mark. Oh. The way that I see it, though, is I will publish this content even though I know it's not perfect because I know what I'm going to change next time. And the, the understanding that perfection just doesn't exist. There, there, there is no such thing as perfection. It, I, I guess perfection is understanding that something isn't perfect and accepting the imperfections that it is. And so when it comes to videos, I know the exposure might be off. I know that the sound might be not as good as what I want, but that's what I'm going to fix for next time. And that's, that's just... It's the learning it curve. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, so I, I was looking at your um, your saved IG stories and like I saw that the the dials were askew, you know, where like eight o'clock was at the twelve o'clock position, and I was just like, <laughs> that is oddly specific. And they all lined up, and I was like, did he rotate those on purpose? And then of course you click on them, and they're like pocket shots. But I was just like, it's so, it left me so perplexed. So thinking of like perfectionists, I'm just like, yeah. it's like perfectly at eight o'clock too. <laughs> it's just like what's going on. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was were, planned. What, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, so, did you have advertisers early on? Speaking of advertising, were you like, how did you find no, your I, first advertisers? And, 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 I've been lucky. Everything has come to me. Um, 
and that's when I start to kick myself because if things are coming to you, then you probably could have gone to get them earlier. Um, but my focus has always been on the content itself. For me, my product is the content. And so I want that to be great. When it comes to the commercial side of things, uh, that sits so low on the priority list that actually it very rarely gets done. Um, so when all advertising has come through, people just emailing and saying, uh, we've got this product and we'd like to advertise. And I turn down, I probably accept one to 5% of the people who come through and want to advertise solely because I value, this is going to sound horribly corny, but I value the access to the audience so highly that 99% of the people can't afford the fees that I would charge for people to get access to my audience. Well, let's talk about the launch of your shop for a second, if we can. Um, you've obviously sponsored your own videos with Bark and, or Bark and Shop. Like, how did you decide? What was the pivotal moment to launch Straps? Um, it, it, or was it just sort of a no-brainer thing? It became a no-brainer thing. It, it was an, an insane journey, probably the, 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 the biggest journey so far. And also the, the, the biggest vote of confidence as well, um, that something's working and people uh, trust what I say. Uh, I've been selling straps for a while, actually, before Bark and Jack. Oh, no, when, when Bark and Jack first started as an Instagram account, I used to sell straps on eBay. Um, they weren't branded or anything. I'd, I'd just source and and sell uh, just as a side hustle because I was working in retail and I wasn't making enough money. Um, and it, it was, I guess that's when the obsession with doing something better than what is already around started. And then a company called Moostrap Co, uh, something like that, they, the guy sent me some straps and said, um, here's a whole load of straps, let me know what you think um, and give some away to your your subscribers. And so I thought, actually, these are actually really nice straps. It's the first time I experienced uh, seatbelt nylon, and I thought, wow, that's that's a really nice material. So I, I did a video on it and said that these are nice native straps. The guy sent me an email a, a week later saying, look, can I send you more straps? Because I've, I've never sold so many straps in my life after your video. And I was like, oh, right, no, don't sell me straps. If, if people listen to what I say, um, then that was a massive vote of confidence. So I, I got back in contact with my strap suppliers I was like, let's let's do something. Um, and, and I like the moose, moose strap uh, straps. There, there were things on there that I'd change, and, and that was it. Let's, let's, let's get on with doing the straps again. Um, but taking it a step kind of forward, um, branding them and doing all that. And I had this idea in my head that I wanted – I didn't want any throwaway packaging. I didn't want any plastic or unnecessary packaging within the product – but I also wanted it to be an experience. Even though it was a £20 product, I wanted it to be something exciting and someone to feel like it, it, it was it was something special, like a birthday. Um, and so I, that's when I came up with the whole idea around, um, I should have brought one with me, but I've got an envelope that has like a little waxed seal bit. So it's quite an official looking envelope. It's just, just a bit of fun. Um, and inside, rather than the strap coming in a piece of plastic, it comes in what I call a watch sock and it's basically just a pouch with a logo stamped on it made out of some um, nice uh, cotton, tanned cotton. I should have had one with me. Um, and the, the idea is that the, the strap arrives in that 
but it's not throwaway packaging. You can use that pouch for anything. You can put straps in it, you can put your watch in it, do whatever you want with it. But at the end of the day, the envelope is made from recycled material. Uh, we don't send out a receipt with the, the packaging. So it's, it's literally just the envelope and then the watch pouch, the watch sock, and then the strap. My idea is that you get a receipt emailed to you, so you don't need a paper receipt. There's, there's no need for it. So everything is either reusable or recyclable, and that was my idea behind that. Um, and I told my wife, awesome. And I, I, I think more companies need, need to be, be like that. Um, I, I told my wife, uh, my wife wanted to make the watch socks, the, um, the packaging. And so we bought her a sewing machine. She went off to um, one of the local colleges and, and learned how to use a sewing machine again. And we designed the pouches. We went off to um, secondhand charity shops and bought like old chinos and we'd wash them, iron them and then make the watch pouches out of these chinos. And I said to my wife, let's stockpile like 20 pouches for the first launch weekends we're not going to sell more than 20 straps on the first weekend so oh no i see if, where this if, is going if, if you do that <laughs> if you make 20 pouches because she, she would swear about how long it took her to make these little pouches because she was an experienced machinist yeah uh, and it was it was actually quite difficult we'd, we'd bought all of the pairs of chinos around us in, in all the charity shops and so we were having to go further afield to get this material um and then i, I pressed launch sent out an email sent out an instagram post uh and we got 350 orders <laughs> in the first like three hours. <laughs> and I and I turned Honey, off the website. Get to I, work. <laughs> <laughs> she was fuming, and it's I, I had to turn off the website. I, I closed the website because um, we just had too many orders come in, um, and we we broke even within three hours. Uh, uh, of all of the the setup costs, everything, um, and that, that was. It was exciting and scary at the same time because I suddenly realized that these orders were going to, to Turkey, to Australia, to America, that a huge amount of orders going to America. They're going worldwide. I'd never sent orders out to these places. So we, we suddenly had to figure out what well, my idea is, try it and then learn it later on. Just do something and then figure out what's going to happen. So that, that stupidly, that was my plan. So we had these like 300 orders to go through. Who was going to fold these straps? Who's going to write the labels do we write the labels do we print the labels and i hadn't done all of that detail so it was it was a stressful time where do you have your products made are they uk are they italy like where where are you i really wanted to have them made um all products to be made domestically but the it, i was spending weeks trying to find supplies in the uk and there just isn't the supplies no or, or there are and they're just extortionate and so the uh, nato straps are made in hong kong um, and I, I believe the majority of NATO straps are made out that way. Our leather products are made by, um, I, I share publicly that they're, they're made by JPM because I think JPM's a, a genius when it comes to leather work. Um, I also have a, a, a chap in, in Turkey who makes my vintage straps. Um, I've known him for years, uh, and we've exchanged products. I've given him feedback on his own products. And when it came to wanting to do a vintage style strap, just with the two little simple stitches at the top, I thought it's he he's my guy. Uh, is your assortment growing at all? Like, what's next in the shop? What's next is um, I've been working on watch rolls for a while. Um, Sweet. And uh, I, the problem is, I've I've got two lines that I want to go down. I used to work with some guys at Apple who went off and designed um, bike inspired bags, bags that 
for for cyclists um and it's just a husband and wife team and, and they make all their own handmade stuff uh and i, I want to work with them they're called velo uh, i want to work with them to to de- develop something together i love what they're doing i think the products are amazing um and the fact that they're, they're handmade by them i think is awesome so i want to do a couple of products with them and then do some more leather products uh but there's there's some things in the pipeline that that i'm working on uh, i'm thinking very long term um at the moment it's my focus at the moment is still building brand power. Um, I, I'm happy to not worry too much about the financial side of the commercial stuff. Um, I want to work on uh, people knowing who we are. I think that's that's where the power is. Uh, the financial stuff can can come later on. And I think right now it's about building the website, building the channel, and doing things that way. From a YouTube channel perspective, I know you and I are both fans of Peter McKinnon's. Yes. Um, that guy's handiwork is just mad genius. Like it's crazy. He's, he's on another level. Yeah. Um, he really is. Who else do you follow sort of in the same vein as far as like YouTube content creators go? And, um, like who does a great job in your eyes? Peter McKinnon. Um, I, I, I love the fact that he has managed to turn quite, a relatively niche topic into an audience of I think it's four and a half million he has, which is huge, absolutely astronomical. Yeah, and his storytelling ability is incredible. His cinematography is incredible. Um, but when it comes to content delivery, uh, people like uh, Kai W, who's a, a British camera photography um, reviewer, he, he's got a real no BS attitude towards things. Um, and he's it, just a funny guy. It's, I, I like it when people don't take things too seriously, don't get caught up in 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 stuff, and can just they're quite happy to mess about. And he, he, Kai is very happy to mess about. There's another guy, this guy called Camera Conspiracies. I, I watch all camera videos on on YouTube. Okay, that's that's, that's what I focus on. Um, and it, he, it's, it's just this this funny guy who just sits in the corner of a room, just talking about cameras and how he he hates certain functions of a camera, and he'll. <laughs> call out camera companies for doing this. and it's it, it's such a, a a funny delivery and very creative delivery yet a very simple format and i i like things like that when when you think about wanting to build something but you don't necessarily have when you've got lots of barriers to entry whatever they are it's nice when you see people who are just getting on with stuff and when people talk to me about i want to start a youtube channel but i need what camera should i buy You've got a camera. You use your iPhone. You've you've got a microphone in your iPhone. You've got an editor in your iPhone. Just do it. Just get on with it, and everything will come later. Uh, and it was it was these things that I had to tell myself was just get on with it. What's been the hardest part about Bark and Jack for you? I guess the hardest part is having ideas and sticking to them. And what I mean by that is this is now a business it's now a limited company this is my job but that doesn't mean it has to change from the original motivation mm-hmm. for why i created it and uh, last year I, I went down a route of uh, being obsessed with trying to take on hudinki and being obsessed with the idea that this has to be a media empire that has to take on the big guys that's not why I started Bark and Jack. That's the complete opposite to why I started Bark and Jack, doing what I'm, I'm doing. 
and but, so it's I, I guess for me it's it's staying focused and staying this is going to sound horrible but staying true to the original motivations as to why I started it I started it because I didn't trust what was being said outside and I also wanted to share my opinions and stuff and that doesn't mean that I have to compete with the big guys yes I'd love for things to build to the size of Houdinki but that doesn't mean I have to be Houdinki that doesn't mean I have to copy what they do it just means that I have to keep doing what I'm doing um, so it's it's about balancing the commercial side of things and understanding that a business can still be a business even if it's just following what I want it to be and that goes back to your point of you'll do whatever the hell you want to do that's my motivator that's the, the channel grew when I was doing whatever the hell I want to do so let's carry on doing whatever the hell I want to do. Yeah, you know, it's just tough sometimes as not just a business owner, but I think just as a person, right? Like we have this inherent keeping up with the Joneses yes. sort of emotional thing that goes on and resonates with like, I see their success. It's not driven by jealousy. It's driven by, I want that success. You Absolutely. Know? Like for the, Abs- and yeah. so it's not like I don't, I mean, I love Hodinkee. You obviously support them as well. Absolutely. And the group of people there are, are great. Um, I've met a lot of them and they're, they're, they're yeah, amazing same. people. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few of them here on the show and um, yeah. it, it just makes you like them more. Um, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't know even what I'm trying to say really other than like you don't have to try to achieve the success in the same way. You could still be successful in your own way. But I think, again, it's all going to come back to the default answer being honesty. And as long as you're living an honest way, like, yeah, I post pictures of Porsches. Do I own a Porsche right now? I don't. But I'm expressing my aptitude to own one. I'm expecting or sharing um, my enthusiasm behind the car itself, be it a design, be it function, be it both. It's And even the community, really. I mean, Porsche owners are quite mad <laughs> but i mean <laughs> obsessive obviously but like um but yeah i mean i think it's that sense of aspiration really that i'm doing it it's not so as to share in a fake way of like look at this lifestyle i'm living it's more like look at the lifestyle that's available like let's do that but i also think it comes back to um the audience the way the audience reads what you're doing if mm. the audience if if that person is in a negative mindset they're going to read whatever they want to read true and this that that's kind of comes back to the whole comment stuff i get really annoyed when people misconstru- misconstrued what i say when they take what i say out of context that really frustrates me but that's down to them they're looking for a way of taking something out of context that's not necessarily it could be that i i delivered something incorrectly but it also is likely the fact that they were trying to look at something. So if someone looks at a picture of you sharing a, 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 you sharing a picture of a Porsche and they look at it as, oh, he's, he's trying to be something that is not, no, they, they, they've just misunderstood the message. Yeah. Be, ha- be happy in, in who you are and, and can obviously see you, you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what comes easy to you? Oh, God. Getting annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are great videos. I love those videos too. Because <laughs> they're honest. And weirdly, they're, they're the easiest. People say, um, when they do a video being positive about something, people say, oh, you're positive about everything. I cover things that I like because I find that harder to do 
than covering things that I dislike. I could pick up anything and rip it apart. I'm sure anyone can. And I find that too easy. I think picking something well, up Well, there's too much of that already out there. Absolutely. If, if you want to see someone money about something, then, then you can go listen to Joe Bloggs money about it. And, and they've probably misunderstood something anyway. Uh, right. For me, I, I, it takes so long to, to create content that I only really want to cover stuff that I like. Um, but what's the question? What comes easy? What comes hard? Uh, it comes easy. I, I, I think uh, just ideas to, to make content. I've got so many ideas. I've got, I have lists and lists of content to make. Um, and it's, it annoys me that I don't have someone sitting next to me who can edit for me because it would be so much easier. I, I mean, I definitely think that's a positive problem. Like for me, I'm, I'm more um, restrained by monetary implication. Like I've got sure. a long list of assortment that I would love to make, but sampling product, you know, I mean, a NATO strap is adjustable. A t-shirt isn't. So it's like to get the sure. fit right is expensive. And to do that times X number of products is even more expensive. Well, there's so many emails come in saying, oh, can you start doing extra, extra large straps? Can you start doing extra small straps? So, but no, <laughs> the, cost, <laughs> the cost to do that is massive. To, to vary cost and then color and then have that across the whole range is just... No, there's, yeah. there's, there's only so much money. And, and that's another reason why I'd, I'm not going to be able to... I've been talking about wanting to expand the amount of sizes that I do, forgetting the fact that the pound has reduced massively in power compared to the, the dollar. Um, su supply is struggling right now, and I just don't have access nor the money to expand the ranges. So actually, it's complete BS me talking about expanding the sizes. We're just going to carry on as normal. Well, you're married with kids. You recently moved to Scotland. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about that decision to move? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it was very much a strategic decision actually, um, for quite a few points. Uh, my, my wife's from Scotland and, uh, actually half of my family's from Scotland as well. Um, oh, cool. and so we would come up here like every three or four months and every time we came up, we'd just fall in love with the scenery. Uh, it is a, it rains a lot, but it is a beautiful place. Um, and I, I like, I grew up in the countryside. I like being outdoors. Um, and the one of the agreements for me leaving the day job and focusing on doing Bark and Jack was we need to reduce the family's expenditure. Uh, living in London, in central London, is very expensive. Uh, moving up here, buying a bigger house, a, a much larger place to what we were living in, reduced our mortgage by 45%. Um, so that alone was a massive saving, um, along with not being able to go out as easily. So not eating out as much would reduce our expenditure. So basically, the, the idea was if we take the the jump from having a comfortable salary to building a business, we need to remove all unnecessary costs. Um, and a good place to do that, a nice nice place to live and a cheap place to live is Scotland. Do you use different cameras? Let's talk photography for a hot second sure. on these cameras. Do you use the same camera for video as you do for your stills uh generally speaking yeah uh, it kind of just depends with what setup at that time uh, so if i'm shooting video with my fuji xt4 i'll just flick it into still mode and then just take photographs from there usually because when i started off doing video i was very i'd never really done video before no i hadn't done video before and so it's very much a matter of this is recording video and the camera is pointing at what i want to record 
job done. It's in focus. That's all I care about. Now I'm trying to be a bit more artistic around it. And so I'll set up the shot with the maps and the coffee and everything with all the props. I'll set up the shot to be a photograph, but rather than pressing click to take a photograph, it'll be for a video. So Just actually record. Yeah, exactly. So I, I use uh, whatever camera is set up, uh, but my main gear is, is Fuji. I'm an absolute Fuji fanboy. Uh, and I've got a Lumix GH5, which is an amazing workhorse of a, a camera. You don't consider yourself a watch collector, though. This is what's interesting to me. Yeah. So what, what, that phrase just came out. And when I said it, I kind of thought, oh, that's funny. Um, and then I sat there <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> and it. And it's true because... I see someone who collects watches to have, I don't know, maybe a series of something, or maybe they collect field watches, or maybe they collect um, they collect Patek. And I guess you m might be able to say, well, you have a collection of Rolexes, but they aren't the watches that I would necessarily choose. For example, the No Date Sub I bought because I couldn't afford a 5513 this is 1406om i couldn't afford the 5513 so maybe i'd see myself as a collector if i could afford the products that i actually wanted um, but also i feel like i'm on a journey through watches and therefore i haven't quite found what i want to collect um, i have watches that i think i'll keep forever like my kermit and my explorer i think they're forever watches for me but I don't think those two alone make a collection. Everything else is, is very much fluid. Um, right. So, yeah, that's why I don't think I'm a collector yet. So what's on your wrist right now? This is my new Black Bay 58, which um, I'm really gelling with. It's it's uh, it's probably just a honeymoon period, but it's I, I really feel like this is a good watch. And you've got the black dial, black bezel. Yeah, the the the, the original, the I guess you could. The original it, one, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's as an offering, it's a hard one to contend with. It's it's like your black bay. It's it's hard to criticize yeah. it, considering what it is for the money. My Explorer, the the watch that I'd say I have the biggest connection with, and that I love the most, is the one that I did next to no research for. Because I, I bought it at an auction, and it, it was it was a, a buy to make a video and then sell on. It wasn't a buy for me to enjoy the watch. It was actually I bought it to do a rant about it because it was a highly thought of watch. People were fond of it, and I thought it's boring, it's horrible. No, this, let's let's destroy this watch. Hopefully, that video will go viral. Then I can sell it on and make back from the viral video what what I paid for the watch. Um, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I wanted to talk to you about the Explorer because I, I love the 36 millimeter size. Um, your 36 millimeter Explorer is kind of the do everything watch, right? You could dress it Absolutely. up, you could dress it down based on size. Like, would you prefer yours over a 1016 reference? Or do you have a preference between the two? See, that's when I'd be a collector. It, I'd be a collector when I own the 1016 and the one that I have because the, the 1016 is a nice looking watch, um, but it's not an everyday watch. F for me, I'm, 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 I'm a clumsy person. I, I need strong watches. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the newer version, the, the 14270, is slightly stronger than 
the 1016. But I'd, I'd say I'd be a collector if I had all the explorers that I wanted because there's, there's lots of versions that, that, that I'd like. What do you think makes a watch great? More specifically, like, what does it have to have to make its way into your possession? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I have to feel like... When, when I was getting... Um, at sixth form, I don't know what the equivalent of sixth form is in America. Um, sixth form is uh, the, our last year, right? In school, so like your senior year of high school. Sure. So it, it, we 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 wear suits, or at least the school that I was at, well, we, you wore suits in sixth form. And I remember putting on this suit, and it felt different to all other suits that I tried on. It just, it was, a, it felt good. It made me feel good. Um, it physically felt good, and then it made me feel good. Uh, and there's just something that just worked. And that's what I feel about the watches that I own is I put it on and I think there's something that just connects. There's plenty of watches that I put on and I think that's a, that's a really nice watch. Like a Speedmaster. I really like the Omega Speedmaster, but never have I put one on and felt like this is me. I feel a connection with that. Whereas when I put on the Black Bay 58 or, or the, the Kermit or my, my other watches, there's, there's always been that little bit of wow, there, there, there's something here that I really connect with. And I think that's why I struggled to answer the questions because I, I don't really know what that is, whether it's build quality, whether it's design, whether it's function, but there's al always something deep. It's just a visceral. It it, it really is. And I, I guess yeah. that's why it's, it's hard <laughs> to explain. Yeah, you can't put it into words. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you restrict the number of watches in your collect well I, I don't I, i'm tempted not to say collection and just default <laughs> possession since you're not a collector but uh are you restrictive at all or does it not i, I, I am because I, I think um i have to be strategic with my collection i guess from a few standpoints i, I I'm, I'm not a wealthy guy and so i need to be i need my money to go far but also i have to have watches that's I have a connection with, but also can create content with. There, There is a requirement for me to make content, um, a self-imposed requirement, but there is a requirement. Um, but also, I, I don't like lots of watches. I, I have lots of watches. I have about 13 watches. I only wear about three or four of them. And I can't imagine having lots of watches that I'd want to wear. I'd, I'd find that I like to have relationships with my watches, and that's why I like my Explorer so much, because... We've done a lot together, and that's what it represents. If I had 10 nice watches, I wouldn't have that relationship with, with all those watches. What, uh, what do you think is overrated in the marketplace? I think a lot is overrated in the marketplace. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 think, um, I think people's perception of Rolex and where they sit within the watch world is, is massively overrated. And because it's, it's the most recognizable watch brand, it's it's then seen as, oh, that they're the best. Well, they're, they're not. I like them, and, and actually I, I can't really imagine me going above Rolex. I think that they're a nice middle point of a good product, a luxury product, but actually a usable product. Um, I, I think um, Patek Nautilus, massively overrated. Um, I, I like Patek, but I don't think they, I don't think the Nautilus is worthy of the hype. Uh, same with AP, the, the 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 Pepsi GMT. I think all of these massively hyped up products, uh, I, they're all great in their own right, but I don't think they're worthy of. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously wrong because they do have the hype and they they can command these these things these these um, these prices. But 
uh, for me, I'd, I'd, I won't buy something like that. I'd, I have no requirement for a Nautilus or a Royal Oak. Um, I'd prefer to have an, an Vachon Constantin overseas or something. But I'd, then that could just be my chip on my shoulder that I like to go for the underdog. I like probably one of the reasons why I like the Explorer is because it is an underdog to all the other relic sports models. When I was in, when I played guitar, I used to, all my mates played Fender, so I, I went for Gibson. All my mates had Marshall amps, so I went for the Orange amps. I, I always like the slightly different. Don't know. Well, and people are sheep, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's funny because like my next question actually was, what do you think is underrated? Underrated. I, I still think Grand Seiko is underrated. I still think Seiko full stop is underrated. Um, yeah. I, and and it's it's funny. One of the big reasons why I, I wanted to do Bark and Jack and have it very openly anti snobbery is that I hate the idea that it has to be Swiss made. I hate that idea that it has to be made by a certain brand. And so yeah, I, I, I think uh, Grand Seiko are, are creating products that are far superior. JLC. I mean, God, I, I went to their um, their factory last year, and the stuff that they are doing. I've been to a couple of watch factories now. And the stuff that they are doing is just on a different planet to what other people are doing. The fact that people push the idea of Patek all the way to the top, yet JLC, oh no, that's your wannabe Patek. No, guys, <laughs> JLC are making Patek movements, at least back in the day, they were making Patek They were making movements. Well, I was going to say, they still do make movements for a lot of people. Exactly. And they don't like to talk about it. And I was... Right. There was a lot of footage that I wasn't allowed to put in that in my JLC visit video um, because it had brand names on it. Uh, but it, yeah, there, there is still stuff about. Uh, yet people shun JLC for some reason. It's it's bizarre. Um, yeah, that is really bizarre. Is scheduling a tour quite easy, or is it? Do you have to kind of know somebody? Like, if I wanted to go tour a factory, how does that work for somebody like me? Or do I have to own the watch, for example? Uh, I think you have to own quite a few watches. I know Vacheron do watch tours for their VIPs. Uh, Patek certainly do. They, they hire a private jet and they send you down to London and they private jet you out to the Patek factory and they put you up in like a six-star hotel and the whole thing. But I think the idea is that you buy a watch at the end of it. So it's all... The guys who are going can buy watches, so it doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 challenging. I, I, again, I was, I was invited to um, the JLC thing, which was quite. Um, uh, it was really very nice, very very lucky experience. I don't know how people get 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 on it. It's, as I say, I've, I've been probably quite lazy when it comes to stuff like this. R Roger Smith, right. I organised that. No, he invited me. Oh man, that was so good. He seems like the real deal too. He was amazing as a person. I mean, absolutely, yeah. it, it 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 was incredible. Um, and it's it's funny how someone like him is so just so chilled out like I, I, was, I was there all day i told him i don't i only want three hours we'll just sit down have a little chat have a little walk around your factory i was there for the whole day i turned around at the end and i thought why is it why is it empty here why is everyone gone and it was like six o'clock in the afternoon and and he was i was apologizing to him for taking up so much time i was like no no it just takes as long as you want it's honestly such a genuine guy someone who just loves watches and is more than happy to sit down and talk to someone about watches is epic oh, that's awesome yeah absolutely amazing i mean let alone the quality of product that he puts out <laughs> exactly mind-blowing man absolutely mind-blowing three watch collection money no object go oh this has been a big debate i should be quick otherwise i'll just keep talking uh, it, it will be uh my explorer 
Um, no, the, a newer version, the double one four two seven zero, my Kermit, and then I'd probably go with the Vacheron Constantin overseas dual time, but the prototype version or the one off version, the one in titanium with the orange details. Um, oh that right, Hidinki did an amazing article on it. It's, uh, that's my ultimate Grail watch, but I think there's only one or two around. Um, but yeah, that would be it. Really versatile, functional, robust. Um, you're quite into cars, though, aren't you? As well, I lo- I don't know much about cars. I do like cars. Yeah, I'm, I, I I a big thing. Yeah, of- I wasn't how I wasn't sure how deep you were into it. Like, are you wrenching on cars, or are you just like them aesthetically, or what? I, I, no, it's it's the mechanical side of it. I I like driving. I like the engagement. I've I've bought uh, an automatic car, and it, I like the luxury of automatic. But then when I jump into my wife's tiny Igo, I I love just getting the gears going is there's something about engaging with a car and you being fully in control i like it when the car is simple and there are very few electronics you turn the steering wheel and it does stuff you you change gear and it does stuff the car that i have now got a lane uh, land rover discovery sport and it's all mechanical there's no handbrake it's all done you don't need to change gear it's all done and you don't put the wipers on it's all done the lights everything is automatic and what i what i think makes a good driver is when when you the driver processes all that information and it's um, it's small things it's raining so we put the wipers on and and i don't know i I enjoy the engagement so i I had to drive my wife's car the other day and it was pissing down in rain it was dark and so i had to put the lights on and it was nice to actually engage with the car rather than just press it and go (laughs) if that makes sense yeah you know i think they do those things so you pay more attention probably and less distraction but all it does is just allow people to look at their phones (laughs) yeah sure it's just like it's like get off your phone (laughs) But anyway, what's something about you that many of your followers potentially don't know? Or like maybe even somebody close to you would be surprised by? I come across on the channel, I know this because people say it, uh, as if I come across very laid back. uh, And that's kind of a front that I put on that. I'm I'm a laid back guy. I'm a chilled out guy. But the, the, the kind of... That is a front of the channel, but behind it is very, very serious. I, I take Bark and Jack very seriously. I, I take what I do very seriously. Um, and although I might come across as someone who's just having a chit chat on a camera, there's a lot of uh, drive and a lot of seriousness that goes on behind it. Um, does that make sense? It's, no, it, that's a that makes a hundred percent sense. Based, I mean, as somebody, as a viewer, right? Like that's what I see. Yeah. But I'm glad to have you on this podcast because I think the things that we've talked about, like you're never going to share on your channel. Sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'd, 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 I have. We've spoken about a lot of things that that wouldn't that would probably change the perception of the channel. I don't know. I'd. I'd I like to present in a certain way, but actually off camera, it's it's very much a business, um, and I don't want that to sound like it's um, it's a business that requires me to do stuff that I don't want to do. When I say it's a business, I mean I take it seriously. That this isn't. Well, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't perceive it as such. Yeah. I think this is the inner Brit in you that's uh, being <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Probably. You know what I mean? The the, the hu- humility is, sure. is shining through right. currently, which I can appreciate, you know. Um, 
Well, listen, man, this has been fun. I got no other questions. Cool. For you. I've, so I've loved it. If there's anything else you want to chat about, like feel free or, or promote or, you know, knock it out of the park to say whatever you want. I mean, if, if, if you want, um, I'd, I'd love to have one of your baseball caps, one of your H, um, do you do, you do baseball? Yeah. I, I can see a baseball cap in your background. You, you mentioned wanting to, yeah. to get some stuff. You want that one? That one's actually never been worn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if that's one of your products, and that 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 that'd be cool. I'm getting into baseball caps. Well, Adrian, thanks again, man, for taking the time. Like, I I did not expect to go on this long. <laughs> no, we we just had I a great apologize chat. Apologize to your <laughs> wife. Uh, <laughs> Regardless of the podcast, um, it's been fun. <laughs> Yeah, man, this has been great. It's great to meet you. It's just, I'm in the awkward position because like, I feel like I sort of already know you, whereas like, you know, nothing about me. Well, no, it's, it's, so, it's, uh, it's the same voice as on the podcast. It's, it's just, uh, you're, true. you're replying yeah, back yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and listen, enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. You have a great day. Take care. All right, Adrian. Thanks. Cheers, mate. See ya. Bye-bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Uh, frankly, Adrian and I recorded for basically three plus hours, and he's just one of those guys that I could easily talk to all day. Thanks to all of you again for listening. Thanks to Clear Audio for providing the headphones, as well as to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for providing the theme track. Uh, Standard Age Podcast will be back in another two weeks' time. Until then, hope you guys stay healthy and happy, and take care. <laughs>